This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. Sure. Um, the first paper I wanted to talk about is an important paper that came out in the archives of Disease and Childhood Fetal and Neonatal Edition. It's called Two-Year Outcomes Following... Oh, you see, I didn't mute my phone. Mm. It's usually me that's That's, getting reprimanded for that. You see, we're all imperfect. (laughs) Now, so this paper is called uh, Two-Year Outcomes Following a Randomized Platelet Transfusion Trial in Preterm Infants. And its first author is Carmel Maria Moore, and it's from the Planet 2 Matisse group. And for those of you who are remembering, this was the trial that was published, oh man, now I'm blanking, maybe 2019. Um, and so, uh, the Planet 2 Matisse trial was a large international RCT that looked at platelet transfusion thresholds on both short-term and long-term outcomes. I think the, uh, initial paper was published in the New England Journal of Medicine and it reported the short-term outcomes and it really looked at whether you had a, a liberal versus a more restrictive thresholds, 50,000 versus 25,000, sorry, um, uh, platelet Uh, transfusion thresholds, how would that affect the outcomes for these babies? Um, And what the initial paper found was that those randomly assigned to undergo platelet transfusion at a platelet count of 50, um, 50 times 10 to the power 9, had a significantly higher rate of death or major bleeding within 28 days after randomization than those who were randomized to um, a platelet threshold of 25. So, um, the other interesting piece that, cause I mean, I think this paper came out before the, even the inception of the podcast, so we never really had a chance to review it, but everybody read this paper. But what was also interesting was that the, this benefit, uh, this, this, this was also demonstrated, this difference was also demonstrated irrespective of baseline risk of bleeding or death. So this paper really is about determining whether the higher versus lower, uh, transfusion threshold for platelets, um, changed the composite outcome uh, of death or survival with significant neurodevelopmental impairment at the corrected age of two years. So it's the paper really giving us some of these long-term outcomes. I'm just going to go through the methods again. Uh, we'll include obviously some of the neurodevelopmental stuff, but I feel like um, you may have forgotten. I had forgotten what exactly were the inclusion criteria and so on. So Um, the study really included babies who were born at a gestational age of less than 34 weeks, had a platelet count of, um, less than, uh, 50,000 and the cranial ultrasound performed within, uh, six hours before randomization. Um, and that didn't really have major IVH, obviously. They excluded babies with uh, life-threatening congenital malformation, major bleeding in the previous 72 hours, fetal intracranial hemorrhage, immune thrombocytopenia, the uh, refusal to administer vitamin K, and uh, babies who had a very low probability of survival. Now, interestingly enough, preterm infants with a major bleeding could be eligible once that 72-hour period uh, passed, um, and so they could then be included. The intervention was basically platelet transfusion given uh, at a dose of 15 milliliters per kilo when the platelet count was either less than 25,000 versus less than 50,000 per cubic milliliter. Um, 25 being the low threshold, 50 being the high threshold. Um, And then um, of note, the protocol did permit additional platelet transfusion for clinically significant bleeding or surgery or invasive procedure. Fine. Uh, 
So how did they assess neurodevelopmental outcomes? Um, so they were assessed at all the centers that participated. And uh, ideally, they were done with the Bailey uh, 3 and the Griffith Mental Developmental Scales Extended um, re re uh, Revised, so the GMDS-ER. Scores more than two standard deviations below the mean um, represented an unfavorable outcome. And what's interesting is that when these tests or when these tools were not available, uh, basically what they did was that they contacted parents slash guardians directly by phone um, to ask them to complete a patient reporting assessment, specifically the parent report of children's abilities revised, the PARCA-R. And that's basically a survey that is um, that is that has been evidence-based to uh, use parental reports to assess neurodevelopmental outcomes. It's a lot of work, but they did. I, I mean, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you a little bit my opinion on the paper afterwards, because I think it's a, it's, I mean, there's a lot of things to say, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to touch on that. You're, you're making a great point. So a favorable outcome was given, um, if they could ascertain that a child was alive at the age of two years, uh, corrected for gestation and that they did not have any of the following cerebral palsy that impaired independent walking, global developmental delay assessed by a healthcare professional, um, as uh, more than nine months behind expected for age, a pragmatic, a pragmatic clinical equivalent of more than two standard deviation below the mean, severe seizure disorder, hearing impairment not corrected by a hearing aid, or bilateral visual impairment with no useful vision, parentheses, light perception only. The primary outcome was death up to two years or an, unfavor an unfavorable outcome. And the secondary outcome included the components, the component parts of the composite long-term developmental outcome um, analyzed separately using mixed logistic regression models. Now, another thing that they did is that they looked at respiratory outcomes because in the original trial, what they had found was that survival with BPD at 36 weeks was clearly different between the groups. And the kids who got transfused at the higher threshold had a higher rate of BPD, 63% versus 54%. And so they were like, we're going to try to look also at the long-term pulmonary outcome since this is something that really came up in the original uh, paper. So... A total of 660 infants were enrolled, right, between 2011 and 2016 in 43 centers in the UK, Ireland, and the Netherlands. Um, they had 59 infants that were excluded slash lost to follow-up. In terms of the primary outcome data, mortality data was available for uh, 606 of the 653 uh, infants, or so 93%. 81 infants had died within 28 days of recruitment, nine and an additional 84 died before two years corrected age. Uh, five of the surviving children had insufficient data to assign neurodevelopmental outcome, leaving 436 children available for full neurodevelopmental analysis. Okay, so about six, 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 650 babies, and then basically about 450 left uh, for neurodevelopmental analysis. It's very important to make this point. Only 41% of children had formal neurodevelopmental assessment, meaning they were able to get an actual assessment done in person with the, the BS, uh, BSID 3, the Bailey 3, um, and the rest had to go through this parental assessment form. What they found was that infant randomized to a higher platelet transfusion threshold of um, 50 compared to the lower one, 25, had higher rates of death or significant neurodevelopmental impairment. Of 296 infants assigned to the higher threshold, 
147 died or survived with an unfavorable outcome compared to 120 of 305. So the difference was 50% of the group on the higher threshold died or had an, with or survived with an unfavorable outcome compared to 39% in the lower threshold group with an odds ratio of 1.54. Looking at some of these uh, respiratory outcomes, um, of the 296 children who were in the higher threshold group, 38% died or required respiratory support at two years of age compared to 28% uh, assigned to the lower threshold group. 22 children in the higher threshold group required respiratory support at two years corrected age compared with nine children um, in the lower threshold group. So that's quite different, 22 versus versus nine. Um, the conclusions of the paper is that the higher platelet count threshold for prophylactic transfusion in preterm infants less than 34 weeks at birth increased the rate of death or neurodevelopmental impairment at two years corrected age. There's no evidence to support um, uh, to support a high prophylactic uh, platelet transfusion threshold in preterm infants, and there's increasing evidence of harm persisting into childhood. As clinicians, we need to question whether a liberal approach to platelet transfusion can be justified on clinical or ethical grounds. So I guess this data obviously had to be reported. It does highlight the difficulty in performing. We often, we often commend other groups who are able to have very high follow-up rates and are able to really uh, uh, evaluate infants at rates of like 90 plus percent mm -hmm. two three years down the road and i think in this case you see that only 41 percent was really able to get a formal neurodevelopmental assessment and you may say this invalidates the data for me i'm not going to rely on this data i don't think it could be used that's up to you but it does it, first of all, it, it should not obscure the fact that the other 60% of the patient populations were uh, followed in a way through a parental survey. So that should not eclipse that. But also, um, it highlights how difficult it is to perform neurodevelopmental follow-up two years after birth. Uh, it is extremely, extremely difficult. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, so the data, I think, is interesting. I think it reinforces what was published early on in the first paper, um, but but definitely highlights some of the issues that we all run into when it comes to performing neurodevelopmental follow-up. What it what this kind of highlighted for me, I agree with you entirely on all of those things. But what it highlighted for me was um when a baby is that sick, right? And they're so thrombocytopenic, gosh, just how at risk they are for both the short term uh, mortality, um, but long-term morbidity. And, you know, we've been talking about this a lot in our unit about um, prognosticating outcomes for families when these other, you know, what we have is like, you know, the head ultrasound, but what, but when we have these other factors that are additive, right? Infection, inflammation, you know, that, that it's hard to quantify, but we know impacts neurodevelopment. And secondly, that, you know, none of our treatments are without risk, right? And I wonder if they're, maybe we have to like go back to the basics of like storing blood and transfusing blood. And is there a way that we can make it like less inflammatory? I don't know, but you want to reinvent, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> reinventing the wheel here. I, I just feel like that's something in medicine that we're like, well, this is how we do it, but maybe there's a way to, to do it better. I don't know. <laughs> um, someone get, get, get cracking. Get right on that. <laughs> not, that's not, that's not a study I will do. Somebody else. <laughs>
This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.